totally football show today. Call it a comeback. Man United blow minds with blue rinse Pogba. City not taking their chances. Sterling, man who's fathered at least 16 children. No stranger to leaving glaring misses. What will it mean for the Champions League? Will Tuesday's Liverpool clash see another dose of Pepto-Bismol from City? And what of the other half-settled quarterfinals? We'll be talking that, Europa League, tight top four races, Burnley, Newcastle and much more in this Totally Football Show. Easy Preasy. Morning, James. Foxy Coxy. Hello, James. Rafa the Gaffer. Hi. And Dr. Tom Markham, author of an analysis of the performance of football managers and their impact on the value of English football clubs. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> all right, Tom. <laughs> Very good. Yourself? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Nice to see you all on a day which promises to be rich in comment. Especially after that weekend in Manchester, eh, David Priest? Yeah, very much so, James. You're right about that. A game of two halves, why? And a half-time chat. What was the half-time? OK, somebody here who's this, GSS, says, was Mourinho's half-time team talk, lads, it's City? Well, it wasn't anything to do with tactics, by was all accounts. Not? Well, by all accounts, I think it was it come out. It was um, Carrick and, um, and Herrera have come out and said that it was there was no tactics talk, there was no sort of uh, formation changes. It was just purely uh, inspirational chat. Supposedly he did his clown talk. Which, of course, he couldn't have done before the game. There was a real <laughs> <laughs> innovation at half-time. Um, yeah, strange. I think if you take away the sense of the occasion, I think this was perhaps one of those games where, as a team, you completely outplayed. You're lucky to go in with the deficit still being um, of the non-embarrassing kind. And you just think, basically, we've given, been given a chance here. We've left, been left alive. They should have killed us. Let, let's go for it. Um, so it happens sometimes, I think, when a team is so outplayed that they just feel, you know what, let's show them in the second half. Let, let's uh, let's go for it. And, mm-hmm. of course, the occasion mattered, I think, ultimately more to City. I think for them, the nerves and the sense of kind of powerlessness, helplessness almost, kicked in at some stage, which was Strange. Yeah, I mean, the credit could go. It has to go to United for coming back. Of course, it does. But in that situation, they're in a no-lose situation. You know, it's 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 quite common. I mean, I know it's it's not as common as what everyone would have you believe. You know, it's, or is it two and a half percent or three percent of of sides actually come back and win games from two 0 down? But if you're not playing well as a as a team, and then you go two goals behind, the pressure's off you. You know, you, you, there's there's no fear so there. It's such there's a dangerous no, line, no, no, Did you just hear him? Two percent. Well, I think uh, Paul Pogba obviously had a lot to prove as well, and there was right. a lot of chat, you know, with regard to him and potential moves before the game. So mm. he really, really had to prove himself, and he he did grab the game by the scruff of the neck. Doctor Tom, you're very much in the loop. What's the story behind Pep's comments on Friday, pre the derby, that Minoraola had had sought to offload Pogba to City? Well, I think with something that we've discussed on the show before, that agents have such power now, and particularly the bigger agents that obviously Mino is in that bracket. So I think there's so much going on behind the scenes in terms of these conversations. They want to, they want to make as much money as they can for their clients, but at the same time, they want to see them playing and they want to see them in the news because there's so many other deals other than just the, the weekly paycheck that these players get. So they're getting, you know, all sorts of commercial deals from from different companies. So the more headline inches and, and columns that they're involved in, the better from an agent's perspective. So but Pep's interest in, in airing that story? I'm not sure, because obviously 
we heard before that Mino Raiola wanted to to hit him in a in a tunnel. So uh, I don't know. Maybe he was trying to play the bigger man. I'm I'm not too sure. Maybe the lads have an opinion on that. I think it's the same as the city side. I think they, it got to him a little bit. There was no need for him to come out and say anything at all, and it, it just sort of pours gas on the Pogba's uh, performance on, on field fire, though. Was there was there something that happened at half time in terms of uh, his the way he was interpreting the game? Well, he certainly pushed forward more in the second half, um, but that's partly because Manchester United got a grip in deeper positions and allowed him to do that. But I think if Pogba's going to become the player that everyone thinks he, he should become, it will be in that role as a goal scorer. I mean, uh, he's only 25, Pogba. And if you look at the best goal scoring midfielders in the Premier League, likes of Lampard and Gerrard particularly, they weren't prolific when they were younger. You know, it was really about that age 25, 26, where they almost accepted that they were going to play almost as a, in Gerard's case, almost as a, a second striker. And Lampard at the top, you know, given more freedom from that three-man midfield and, and really pushed on to become a goal scorer. I think that's what Pogba has to do, because I'm not sure he has the discipline or the patience. He doesn't have the sense that he's someone who can control the game for me, but he mm. is a player who can provide moments in the final third. And, and that's, what, that's what he did. And there were two very good goals. I mean, the first one, the delay to wait for Edison to go down was excellent. The second one, he was the one who passed out to Sanchez. And the header was actually quite good because he was slightly off balance and it was slightly to his left. I thought they were two really good finishers. Mm. Gundogan's goal a bit special as well. Well, I just wanted to come in on, on two things that um, that were just discussed. I think Pogba is not a midfielder. And I think the first coach you can work out a position where he doesn't have to play in, in midfield will will get the most out of him. Have a go, Rafa. Where would you put him? I'd put him in, um, as a second striker or as the guy in the hole or you know as a number 10 but not really playing playing in a deep position I think he is not disciplined enough to play an actual central midfield did he not he do looked that woeful without the ball yet again hmm. through large spells of the game pointing at others to say you know you go now you go and help me rather than actually taking any control and do you, do you think he's too selfish as a footballer to, to be able to control games I don't know if it's a case of selfishness I think it's just not his it, it's not his game mm. I think I mean Jared was the same. I mean Benitez never trusted him to play real in a central midfield position. He tried to play him up top as much as he could with holding midfielders behind him. And uh, I think Pogba is a very similar case, uh, perhaps even more so of a of a goal scorer. And you know, as you score goals, whatever you say about Pogba's game, it's almost irrelevant because when you score goals, everything else does <laughs> doesn't matter. You can have a bad game. Just look at Cristiano Ronaldo, just how many bad games he has, but it doesn't matter because he scores goals. The other thing with, with Mino, I mean, I think the way I understood the press conference, Pep was asked about a comment that Raiola had made about him. I think this might go back to the Zlatan controversy about Pep not being this or Pep not being that. And then Guardiola basically cracked and felt, I'm making the point now that Minorella is hugely hypocritical because if I'm so bad a manager, why does he want his best client to play for me? Right. It was just very clumsily made, I felt. The problem with this is that I think Raiola was basically looking for an escape route or at least doing what every agent of his size and stature would have done at a similar point is to see where's the market if this really does not work out for, for Pogba at Man United, if it doesn't work out with being, between Pogba and Mourinho, where could he go? So I don't think that he necessarily said, you know, hello Man City, hello Pep, Pogba wants to play for you. Mm. We're offering him to him, but feelers were very well put out to mo- loads of big clubs. All right. Now, there's been a lot, as regards this, this result, and a terrific result for Man United, but admittedly it comes against a City side that wasn't playing its full-strength team, had a lot of misses, 
possibly as a result in the first half. Should, I think, have had a penalty in the second half. Before the game, the, the consensus seemed to be very much that Pep would be wise not to throw everything at this match, even though it was a Manchester derby, even though the title could have been won, because Tuesday night's more important. Now it, there's a lot of talk of how much impact this is going to have mentally on City. The fact of having two major defeats against two major rivals in a row, is this going to unsettle them in, in, in ahead of probably their biggest game of the season? I'm not a City fan and it didn't make any difference to me what happened really. But... Mm. You know, looking through from a from from a different perspective, he could he could have just rested even more players, and then if City won, then it's 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 an excuse. It's got no sort of there's no um, consequence to right. to the next game either, and it's just just like treat it with a bit of disdain, really. Sure, but he felt he could probably do both. Yeah, he could course. probably do both. Yeah, yeah I mean, he he he's, he's a winner. Why wouldn't why wouldn't he think he's Pep Guardiola? Do you mm. know what I mean? But what do you think in terms of preparation for trying to come back from a th- from a three nil deficit? What do you think, Michael? Not sure it'll have that much impact, to be mm-hmm. honest. I mean, they played really well in the first half, having been embarrassed on the Wednesday night. So I think they've won enough games this season that they can get over that, personally. I think the fact that it's nothing to do with Man City, really. I think it's the fact that he's given some power or some, I don't know, some sort of confidence to, to United. Because even if if you just threw the game away and just and they won against a, a second string side, put Bravo in goal as well, it takes away. It's 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 a nothing win. It doesn't mean as much to United now. It's, the, 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 people are talking as like a, a, a turning point, or it could change the way that uh, that United are going because they were, weren't going in the right direction before this game. Yeah, no. but they're thirteen points behind. They're not going to win the title. They're out of the. Champions yeah, but it's League. to do, it's to do with next season as well. You know, it's 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 leaving scars as well. Mm. What I would say is that. The fact that they conceded three goals is almost more relevant than the result. I mean, they could have won 5-3 or whatever, but I think the fact that they didn't keep a clean sheet, that they looked so vulnerable again, that will play on their minds going into into Wednesday's game. It's not the defeat as such, it's the, the, the sense of we can't really protect our goal well enough to get this massive win that we need. Uh, that's the bigger damage. I, I completely think. agree with Rafa there, that you've got a situation where... I think all of us could see City scoring three-plus goals, but their issue is defensively, and Liverpool are so sharp and they have so much pace going forward that, mm. that you can't see them not scoring in that game. Although, of course, they didn't on Saturday in the early game, the uh, Everton uh, clash, the Merseyside derby, in which Klopp's heavy metal was more kind of lift Muzak. I think. I'm not sure how happy he'll be with that. <laughs> Very the, subdued. The, the, the question, I guess, might revolve around Mo Salah, Again, for Liverpool, this clash, the Premier League clash, wasn't as important as Tuesday. But if Mo Salah's missing this week as well, is, how much is that going to blunt their edge? Oh, hugely. I mean, he is, he's their most important player, uh, no doubt. And Liverpool don't have the depth in the squad that City have. And they don't have the depth in the squad that the other teams who are likely to go through in the Champions League will have. So that is a huge concern for them. But they don't necessarily need to score a lot of goals. I mean... <laughs> They, they might not have to score any goals. True. They're in such a comfortable position that you feel Salah missing out would not be a total disaster in, in terms of the tie. But of course you want him to be there. And the way that they were dressing up the whole discussion about his, his fitness levels, it seemed to be, it seemed to sound to me as if if this had been a huge game for us, we might have been able to get him on the pitch. But because it wasn't, We'll, we'll keep him off and see that, if he's, that he'll be ready for Wednesday. And I think he should be. I think uh, the crucial thing is, it's not just the fact that Sal is so good, but it's um, the City's weakness is their left back. So I think if he's out, I can see uh, Klopp maybe switching Mane back to that flank and 
attacking Delph or Danilo or Laporte, whoever plays there, and maybe play someone more defensive on the left flank to, mm. to guard against Kyle Walker. Reversing the derbies, how much do you think the experience at Everton has tarnished the Big Sam reputation to the extent that saying people now consider Alan Pardew, and this might prove to be slightly naive, to be unemployable at Premier League level? How much do you think people in future will look at Sam and go, yeah? Well, no, because I think Allardyce was always, you know, despite his protestations, I think he was generally seen as someone who would take charge of a side and, and take them out of the danger zone. And, you know, what he's offering might not be enough for Everton, but he's done his... He's done his usual thing, hasn't he? So if there's a club struggling next season, well, he's the, still going to go for it. Isn't the report this morning that West Brom might be interested in him? Oh, really? Yeah. So it might be in a you know escape route for him if or if he's if Everton could ties with him in the summer. Mm, and so, he's willing to go down to the championship. Yeah, well, I think with Everton, it's just they, you still look at them. They're not a, they're not a big Sam team, are they? Personnel wise. Yeah. So it's anyone willing to call this a City's game on Tuesday? City going through? No, I think they would have needed to score that one goal. To give themselves a realistic chance, just don't don't see it happening. All right, okay. Well, we'll talk about the other wide open Champions League ties right after this. Listeners, our partnership with Paddy Power helps to keep this podcast free. And speaking of free, when you join Paddy's Rewards Club, every time you place five bets of ten pounds or more on any sport in a single week, Paddy will give you a free ten pound bet the following week. Sign up now at PaddyPower.com. T's and C's apply. Max £10 bonus per person per week. Specific odds required. Exclude shops and cashed out bets. 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Just been handed a piece of paper with David in the bath written on it. David Priest. You can explain more about that later on and share that with the rest of the class. Real Madrid taking on Juventus this midweek in what is possibly, again, Buffon's last Champions League game. Juve warmed up for this by beating bottom of the table Benevento 4-2 with a hat-trick from Dybala who suspended Real Madrid had a 1-1 draw in their Madrid derby with Atletico Cristiano Ronaldo scored another one another Italo-Hispanic clash will see Roma hosting Barcelona Barcelona 4-1 up from the first leg Eusebio Di Francesco pointing out that Roma beat Chelsea 3-0 at the Stadio Olimpico which would be enough to see them qualify the only thing is they've warmed up for this game by losing 2-0 at home to Fiorentina Fiorentina, by the way, have now won six games in a row and have a 100% record since the tragic death of their captain. They're having a purple patch. Cholito Simeone among the scorers. Brilliant result, that. Barcelona, of course, uh, beat Leganes 3-1 and they are now 38 games unbeaten. All three goals from Messi, David Priest. Let's move on then to the other quarterfinal and it's Bayern Sevilla. And only 2-1 this. That's narrow. It's tight, isn't it? What's Bayern's record at home? Are they any good, Rafa? I think they're pretty good, yeah. Pretty good? Have they won 16 out of the last 17 or something? Uh-huh. Yes. They have been very good at yeah. home in the Champions League. 2-1 away. It was a great result after a very mediocre game. And it left everyone still slightly puzzled as to how good Bayern really are. Because they tend to play badly or underwhelmingly and still get results they've had lucky draws in the knockout stages in the Champions League so far so we don't really understand I think until they come up against one of the favourites if they do have indeed uh, what it takes to go through what can be said for them is they have the mentality of, of winners you know they, they go 1-0 down the Sanchez Pichuan uh, I was in the stadium um, the atmosphere was amazing and they look completely unfazed and they just continue and just eventually just their football kicks in and they and they score Fortunate, but but still deserved goals in the end, and they have this unbelievable depth in the in, on the bench. You know, when you can leave out Robin and James Rodriguez, 
and you know half the German national team that will have an impact at some stage so again Tuesday night probably will not offer too many pointers as to how much of a favourite we should see them but they'll be in the last four so they'll definitely have a chance There's no danger from Sevilla who've had some pretty interesting comebacks this season no, they, did, they did go down 4-0 at Celta Vigo yeah. on, on Saturday Sevilla. Sevilla Sevilla looked like a team who really thrived without the ball as soon as they were given the ball a little bit and Bayern were playing on the break once it was 1-1 and Bayern were heading a tie Bayern played a little bit deeper Sevilla just basically just didn't know what to do with it and then physically they fell completely apart after 60 minutes I mean they were down on their on their legs whereas Bayern as I said just brought on James and brought on Robin and and Rafinha and I can't see them away from home where they haven't been that uh, impressive the Old Trafford triumph notwithstanding to turn this around I think this tie is gone Okay in the meantime Bayern tying up their sixth straight Bundesliga title this weekend with a 4-1 win against Augsburg is Cy Ram asking if there's going to be any opposition for them in the Bundesliga next year? It's it's unlikely because Dortmund have so much um, of their own problems to sort out. They're in a process of transition. They're hiring new people in, in the backroom uh, background. They're, they're looking for a new manager, as are Bayern. But Bayern, of course, to a certain extent, it almost doesn't really matter who's on the bench, at least as far as the Bundesliga is concerned. Ancelotti tried his best not to win the Bundesliga, but when they got rid of him... Um, five-point deficit turned into a 20-point lead uh, in no space of time and they look once again untouchable and Jupankis has just been going through the motions, rotating players every single game, uh, playing people in weird positions just to keep them happy like Juan Bernard playing as a winger and it's it's a bit depressing for the rest of the league but what can Bayern really do? Of course, even if Bayern are running away with it year after year, Bundesliga, one of the other fascinating things about it is the number of incredible young players coming through and one in particular Dr Tom Absolutely, uh, Rafa and I had a chat off air about Leon Bailey from from um, Bayer Leverkusen who looks like he could potentially be one of the best players in the world Why is he so, so special? It's for a variety of reasons he's, he's come through an incredible academy in Jamaica and a guy called Craig Butler runs this academy and they've 23 youngsters now in, in Europe in varying leagues his, uh, one of his cohorts has just signed for Fortuna Dusseldorf uh, Kyle uh, Butler a few others are, one has gone to Girona one has gone to Braga but I think when you actually look, if you, if you sort of pull back all of the attributes that you'd want for a footballer, and if you want a pure athlete, you know, Jamaica is the place to go. In terms of pace, uh, there's talk that Leon Bailey can do a 10.200 metres, for example. He's got two feet, he's got a head, he's got, he's got a brain. So he's got all of the sort of facets to make it as, uh, as a player on the biggest stage. And I know there's been lots... I know Leverkusen are very keen to hold on to him, but mm-hmm. I know there's been lots of interest from some of Europe's biggest clubs in him. Similar story to the youngster Bolt, I think it is, at, at Dortmund. <laughs> what, what's going to happen with Leon Bailey? Because we've been waiting and waiting and waiting. He's, he's kind of exploded this year, would you say? Is that fair? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, his second half of the season, along with the whole club, they've been not quite as been uh, prolific. I think they had five games without a goal in the last eight. But... Yeah, he's had a he's had an amazing season. Arguably the most exciting sort of breakout star 
um, of the season. And it really is, as Tom said, just a question of can Leverkusen sell themselves to him with maybe getting into Chumsik saying, you know, just don't make that move too early. You don't want to be sitting on the bench somewhere mm. at a big club. How Go and be a regular. 20. And the, the other thing, James, on, on the point that Rafa was talking about there, um, we're very excited at, at Football Manager HQ because we have the Bundesliga from next year, the first time Ooh. we've ever had it in the game. So if, if you actually want to see someone else other than Bayern winning the league, that might be your only way of doing it. Right. We'll get Ian McIntosh to play as Bayern. That's probably a much easier way, yeah. yeah. So, um, okay. Well, anyway, so there's a terrific top four battle going on in in Germany. Quite an interesting relegation struggle for the playoff spot, at least. Uh, There's other interesting top. If you're a fan of seeing who's going to be in the Champions League next year, it's Titan City as well. Obviously, Juve and Napoli, the top two. Behind them, you've got Lazio and Roma with Inter just one point behind them. So, those three within one point. And the derby coming up next weekend between Lazio and Roma. Ooh, we'll be talking about that. Mm. The last time in Italy was really exciting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But anyway, we'll, we'll talk more about that in Golazzo, where, where Rafa won't be there and we can talk freely without <laughs> snide interjections and stuff. And Portugal, that's a proper title race. Yeah. Six games to go. Benfica and Porto just one point apart. Are you across this, Michael? Yes, and it's Benfica-Porto next weekend on wow. Sunday. So that's a huge game Wow. with uh, not many... You know, big title races in Europe. I think that's one of the games of the season. And you can see that on some... What's that channel called? Free uh, Sports? Free Sports, which is somewhere on your Sky cha- uh, is it? subscription. A huge game you are just pointing out, Rafa, in Germany as well next week. Schalke Dortmund, the Revere Derby, second against third. What happened last time they played? 4-4 <laughs> after 4 in a lead. Game? Yeah. yeah. You, were, you, were, <laughs> you were hoping it was really boring, weren't you? No. Rafa, I, as payback. I'm a fan of... Football. It's also uh, first versus second in Holland. Uh, PSV can wrap up the title if they beat Ajax. Mm. Uh, if Ajax win, then it's kind of game on. So oh, yeah, right, Sunday's a big day of uh, you're slightly lesser football league, shall I... we say? But ones with a good title race. Yeah. Speaking of which, how about League One? Uh, great title race there. Uh, there's only one point, but in the Champions League places, Dr. Tom, only one point between Lyon and Marseille. And I, I mentioned this really only as a way of segueing into two things. One. PSG only drawing at the weekend. Did you see Cavani's miss? Mm. A 1-1 away at Saint-Étienne. Extraordinary miss. Did you see it, Michael? Yeah, that was bafflingly bad. It was the worst of the weekend, wasn't I it? Mean, a weekend often, rich of, of missed opportunities. Yeah, often like, when you get a bad miss, it's like that Welbeck one where the ball's bouncing was a little bit awkward. Uh-huh. But that was just along the floor, open goal. He had a really good sneaky look at the linesman as well, hoping that he was flagged offside. Yeah. He was not offside. Worse than Carno. Was it, I didn't see this one. Was it worse than Carno? Remember, was it oh, Carno? That, that was bad. Yeah, that, was no, bad. That, yeah. that maybe takes it. But, you know, Edson's got a fine catalogue of his own. Of, uh, but the other thing I was going to mention from League uh, was a very exciting game between Lyon, who just sneaked back into the top three and thus the Champions League positions. Uh, they beat Mets 5-0. Memphis Depay, remember him? He set up four goals and scored the other. Pretty, pretty good. All right. Well, I bet you're hungry for more Euro chat. So how about, in a second or two, with the Champions League looking pretty much settled, we have a quick look at the Europa League quarters. Hmm? Wake up, Arsenal fans. Thursday night, football time. Arsenal making the trip to Moscow. They're 4-1 up against CSKA Moscow. But, Dr. Tom, I'm, I put it to you, and I think you were at the first leg of this, weren't you? I was. So I put it to you that I having... you were s- the one. <laughs> <laughs> so the the second leg against Milan, the second leg second leg against Ostersund, they, they did their best to, to reopen the tie, to, to mess it up. 
Absolutely. And they've gotten away with it so far. Is there any danger that it not might, work, might not work out for them this time? Potentially. I, I think you look at their history going to Moscow, they've, they've never travelled well there. And this is aside from any of the political issues that we're dealing with on top of all of that. It was a strange game, actually. Some... I thought I thought Mesut Ozil was incredible in that game, um, but again he got a lot of space and he got a lot of the ball. But that Ramsey goal was 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 something special in in a week where we've had a lot of special Ooh. goals. Yeah. When I was actually looking at Cheska, the situation there, they were, you know, they never looked like a team that were four one down. They were playing very very well, really tidy free kick, uh, reminiscent of of your mate Beppe Signori in mm. terms of no run-up and obviously top corner straight away. They're a talented team. I, I think, you know, if they scored early, Arsenal could be rattled. But, you know, overall, I think they have enough to go through. Right, luckily Arsenal doesn't have a defence that's easily rattled, eh? <laughs> Here's a question from Alex. Is, is this Scudron Mustafi Panfaban the worst defender in the Premier League? We, we were discussing this, Parisi and I, and I'll let him come in on, on, on the latter element, but he always seems to get himself into a position where he has to dive in and he's very good at diving in and last minute ditch tackles but when you're a defender and you're a defender at that level you shouldn't be getting yourselves into that that type of position consistently yeah th- th- there's two types of relaxed defender there's a Barresi relaxed defender there's a Mustavi relaxed defender the goal in, uh, yesterday was a mm. prime example of that and he tries to turn around and pl- blame Petacek when it's clear the communication is from, from Czech to clear the ball and he tries to let it go back to, to Petacek and uh, who was it nipped in was it Charlie uh, it was uh, Shane Long Shane Long mm. sorry, yeah. Who, Shane Long nips in as well <laughs> didn't want to say and the giraffe are there but yeah I mean, but it, it, it's, it's just typical of Arsenal defenders just to, to not defend the ball when they should do yeah and it's 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 almost like it's with some defenders, especially at the, the top level. It's sometimes it's it's uh, it's beneath them just to just to defend the goal and kick the ball away. Mm. What is it with Shane Long though? Eh? He's incredible in that he just never really scores, but he always scores against big teams. Yeah, and he you know I think that was his second goal this season. Yeah, and I think if you if you if you had a hybrid of Shane Long and Robbie Keane, you would have had one of the best strikers in the world. He's incredible. Yeah, I'm not sure you the... would actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's what, what's Robbie Keane at international wise? One, one more than Gerd Muller, I think. Is he? <laughs> so well, uh... okay, no, maybe you would. Maybe you would. <laughs> Arsenal with a three-two victory on Sunday against Southampton. Quick, quick word on Southampton, Mike. I bet you were all over this game, were you? I was watching it uh, from Stamford Bridge because I was. At Chelsea. Oh, um, okay. I thought Southampton played well, actually. I mm-hmm. mean, after a dreadful performance against West Ham last week, Hughes changed system, went five at the back. I thought Long, he did look very bright. His runs were good. They had Romeo in the centre of the pitch, who I think has to start for them because he's he's the kind of player you need in a relegation fight. Um, yeah, they were much improved. I, their, their fixtures are really tough, though, yeah. from here Southampton, so I think they're struggling. Okay. We, we're talking bad defensively you know, with uh, Mustafi, but they, I thought Southampton were awful. Oh, really? Yeah. I think def- you know look you look at the goals have conceded um Jack Stevens it might be a little bit, a bit harsh on him if seeing this but it's a bit of a blessing that he's going to be missing I think because I think he's a bit of a liability yesterday he got caught he caught pressing uh, too late he got caught in between the bottles just played down the side of him and all the rest of the defenders are playing everyone on side um Suarez as well the back stick you know you need your defenders at least going to try and head the ball he just ducks out of it uh, Claimed he was pushed in the back, moans to the referee for about five minutes afterwards. 
And if you're not going to even make an attempt to win the ball, then you, you don't deserve to, to win games like that. You're not having that, are you, David? It makes me very, very incensed. All right. Mm. Isn't it strange that six games before the end of the season, there's absolutely nothing to play for in the top third of the league? Well, there is. League. There's the race between Newcastle and Everton. There's Burnley getting into Europa League spots. European football for the first As time. As I said, that's absolutely 60s. nothing to play for. Oh, come on, Rafa, the romance. European giants at Turf Moor. What race between Newcastle and Bournemouth? We're just, you know, Newcastle are now only three points behind Everton. Yeah. Everton are ninth. Well, yeah, but Newcastle up in the top half. I mean, I think a lot of people thought that Newcastle were going to be in the top half of the championship next season, not... Oh, no, no, absolutely. I mean, they've done really well. Burnley Mm. have done tremendously well, but there is not a single fixture that will have any relevance of what's happening (laughs) in terms of the positioning up, uh, up top, unfortunately, you know. Micah said he went to Chelsea and we were just talking about Arsenal. These are all meaningless games, really, mm, meaningless. which is quite weird. How was it at Stamford Bridge, Michael? To be honest, Chelsea played much better than I thought because, you know, with nothing to play for, Chelsea have a track record, really, of switching off and shutting down and acting like they don't really care. And I think that there's a feeling that their manager feels that way as well. But I thought they were quite bright. I thought Hazard was, was exceptional. William right. was good. Morata was frustrating because some of his link play was really good. He scored two two goals that were disallowed for offside they were correctly disallowed for offside I think he should have timed his runs much better Mm. Um, West Ham were a bit meek really I thought after they went over Southampton I thought they could have been a bit bolder but uh, Hernandez Stamford Bridge not bad though and that's a nice combination it was a good result I think Chelsea should have been out of sight before before West Ham got back in the game but it was nice to see Hernandez scoring just because I I know he's he's limited in, in what he does but I quite like players who just excel at one thing and you know after the game David Moyes was saying you know, any player in the league, you want that ball to fall to Hernandez. And I don't think he's far off saying that, actually. He's just so clinical. If you look at his record this season, I think he scores every 185 minutes or something. So Mm -hmm. pretty much a goal every game when you, you know, average it out like that. Um, He does get goals. um, And they don't start with the traditional centre-forward. They play Arnautovic, who's a good player up there. But he was really isolated and he just needed some kind of support. Three minutes of support and he sets up Hernandez. Do you think that was a penalty? The the Kante challenge. No. To be honest, I didn't. I didn't even see a replay from my angle, which was not a good angle. It looked like a good tackle, but good save from Joe Hart, by the way. A few good saves, actually. Yeah, yeah. Mm. He's doing what he should be doing. Which was your favourite save of the weekend, David? Oh, I'd go for Carius really, uh-huh. because I just like his his, uh, his continued sort of uh, great form and and repaying the faith that he's been shown. And, right. he, and, he, and he's, he's, he, he just looks a different keeper. He looks more comfortable, regardless of the save he's making. Just his whole demeanour looks looks good. Uh, Thursday night, Dr Tom, you were wondering about the other quarterfinals, yeah? Uh, we, we, we mentioned Arsenal and their trip to Moscow. Lazio are going to be at Salzburg. That's nice, in Austria, lovely city. Lazio 4-2 up after an absolutely thrilling performance in their, their first leg at the Stadio Olimpico, Simone Inzaghi's side, continuing to surprise and as I mentioned Rafa their derby with Roma coming up next weekend uh, Leipzig will be visiting Marseille Leipzig 1-0 up so that's quite tight quite tight and they got a little bit lucky mm-hmm. saw the game Marseille had a lot of chances hit the bar and Leipzig um, got a great result but perhaps were a little bit fortunate uh, of going going to the Côte d'Azur with, uh, with a clean sheet but they've given themselves a great chance I mean this is their first ever season in Europe uh, it's only their second ever season in the top, uh, at top level of, uh, of football. So they've done okay. Mm-hmm. Does anyone else not find it a bit strange that there hasn't been 
that much uh, media coverage of the fact that there's two clubs owned by Red Bull at the same stage in, in, in the same competition. Salzburg have nothing to do with Red Bull whatsoever, as okay. UEFA told us. <laughs> and a long silence ensued. Um, they kind of do, though, don't they, Rafa? Well, the badge, the, badge, the badges look weirdly similar. <laughs> I don't know if that is just a coincidence. Um, but, I mean, the sad thing for Salzburg fans is actually that Red Bull have cut their ties to a certain extent. And oh, have they've, they? They've stopped funding uh, to the same amount. Um, legally, they're no longer the owners mm. uh, of the club. There's, of course, an argument that they're as, as sponsors and as people behind the scenes are still in control of the club. And I think it's fair to say that UEFA are hoping that one of the two will get knocked out so you won't have that uh, that problem of the two of them coming up against each other. But from a Salzburg point of view, they're actually quite upset with what has happened because they used to be the dominant team in, in, uh, in Austria. And um, it's no longer a given, and uh, all their best players are off to other RB-controlled teams. So it's it's not great for them. Mm, interesting. Salzburg have a really interesting coaching team in Marco Rosa, who was uh, a former teammate and player under Jurgen Klopp at Mainz, grew mm-hmm. up under the Wolfgang Frank regime, and the Rene Maric, who is basically Austria's Michael Cox, uh, started a blog. Um, on tactics and then got a gig um, coaching with Salzburg's under-19s um, as an assistant coach when they won the Champions League and now he's the assistant coach wow. of Salzburg. Michael, is that something you'd like? Is that a career path you'd, uh, you'd enjoy? No, I, I met him a couple of years ago and he's, he's far ahead of uh, anything I can provide in terms really? of coaching. Yeah, I mean, he his blog was very good but, uh, you know, he was a coach with a blog rather than Rather than just, just a, a blogger, just a, fella, yeah. just a boy with a blog. Like the same way that uh, after Benitez got sacked from, was it between Liverpool and Chelsea? Maybe he started uh, his own. Oh yeah, he did, didn't blog. he? Yeah, yeah. I but I must say, it wasn't that good, really. Was it not? No. What kind of thing did he say? What didn't you like about it? Uh, didn't think he provided much insight, to be honest. How many? Like, did they do chalkboards and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. It was kind of like breakdowns of matches, and, right. and then just occasionally, like he'd. He'd put up stats of um, Liverpool's uh, record of conceding goals from corners during his time there uh-huh. to deny the fact that the so zonal marking system didn't work. Fact exclamation mark at the end of each yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. The, the best, uh, the best one of those that I've ever come across is a guy called Washington Rodriguez, who actually uh, he presents he presented Mesa Redonda, which was the Brazilian equivalent of Match of the Day. And he's the only person in real life who actually looked like one of those Bo Selector masks as well. Mm. And this guy ended up as the coach of Flamengo. Really? From just being presenting a show, no coaching experience. And that's when they had Romario and Savio. No. How did that go? Not very well, but he actually got another stint. So they hired him twice. (laughs) Aldo Agropis came up actually last week on um, Golazzo. Aldo Agropis was a TV opinionista in Italy. And, and was given the Fiorentina job and took them straight down from about fifth on the table. It's like Alan Shearer. Well, I suppose. Uh, now the other, the other uh, Champions League, sorry, the other Europa League quarter final this week is Sporting hosting Atletico Madrid. Sporting two 0 down after the first leg at the Wanda Metropolitano. You probably saw the fallout from this, did you, David? Yeah. So they went down after twenty three seconds. Uh, Diego Costa put Coco through after 
A horrendous error from Sebastian Coates. Coates had a nightmare game, as did Freddie Montero, who missed an absolute sitter right at the, at the end. And the sporting president, Bruno Di Cavallo, was so incensed that he, he, he said a lot of stuff on social media. The players then responded on social media. And there was a story going around that 19 first-teamers had been suspended. Can you have 19 first-teamers? Yeah. About. Yeah. Anyway... Um, but that turned out to not be true. They didn't suspend them. They played this weekend. They beat Passage de Ferreira 2-0 and, and they're lying third, etc. and so on. But anyway, they, they have the second leg to try and turn that around. Listeners, if you want to combine your knowledge of the footy with your knowledge of the footsie, then you need to get yourself over to the Football Stock Market Football Index. Football Index is a new way to profit from your knowledge of the Premier League, League One, Serie A, La Liga and beyond. Buy and sell players, build a portfolio, earn dividends and sell at a profit. Because you listen to the Totally Football Show, you can try Football Index and trade up to £1,000 entirely risk-free. Just head to footballindex.co.uk, enter the promo code TOTALLY, and if you don't love Football Index, you'll get a full refund with their seven-day money-back guarantee. Download the app or play online at footballindex.co.uk and become a football trader today. T's and C's apply, you must be over 18, deposit required, and please trade responsibly. There's more Premier League to discuss, but only after we tackle one or two things like the Football League show, which is returning on Tuesday. And no doubt there'll be a lot of discussion about when Wolves went to Cardiff on Friday night. Ruben Neves with a screamer. Neil Warnock with a screamer. screamer. (laughs) (laughs) Why was he so upset? Well, I think what wasn't shown on TV was that when the final whistle went, he went across to shake... um, Nuno's hand, mm. and um, and he's off celebrating, doing the, his David Pleat impression, which he, <laughs> he's quite entitled to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was a very important game, um, but um, obviously Neil, being the the gentleman that he has been over the last thirty odd years, <laughs> he didn't uh, he didn't quite like that. Right. I, the good thing about that was, you know, the camera footage where. One who's repeatedly telling him to F off. The thing I like is after the final F off, the camera pans back and suddenly Nuno Espirito Santo looks miles away, doesn't he? Like he's really followed. The, he's only just got the message and then suddenly he's like 15 yards it's, away. It's the new Dan. Dan is going, Neil, Neil. <laughs> so uh, there are all sorts of drama in that game. As you know, that story in stoppage time with penalty misses by Cardiff. And that was their first defeat in 14 anyway. They'll be... Uh, tackling that on the Football League show. Quick update, though, for anyone who doesn't manage to catch that, uh, David, on the Sunderland comeback. How's that going? Sunderland comeback? Yeah. yeah it's not going very well. Oh, OK. It was, it, a one- it was short-lived. Right. A 1-1 draw with Leeds. So they are... Same <laughs> same points as Burnton, who are bottom? Wow, it's tight at the bottom of the championship, then. It's, there's a race to get the bottom, yeah. Right. Yeah. OK. Barnsley got a good result the weekend, though. Might did lift, they? It might lift them out of trouble, but they beat yeah. Sheffield United three-two. They did, yeah. It was a very good game that one. Okay. Um, how's is any word of a Sunderland takeover? There is lots of words. Yeah, Go on, Tom. I think um, from from the club's perspective, there's a lot of interest, but it's a question of what sort of haircut uh, Ellis Short is is willing to take in terms of his investment. So he still wants some money back, but I think. He he's lost interest in the club, and I think everyone is aware of that. There's been lots of media speculation. Noel Quinn is coming back to the club apparently for about his fifth time, but I don't think that's going to happen. But I think the club will be taken over. But everyone's waiting, as as David mentioned, probably for the inevitable to happen, and and 
for them to go down and and then someone else will probably take over the reins. Didn't we say this though when they were in the Premier League everyone was waiting for them to go down and well, how many times I, does it... I can tell you that there was a very very good offer put in for the for Sunderland when they were still in the Premier League and it was agreed and then the goalposts were moved. So so I think it was it was very close to a takeover there obviously you know when you're talking about hundreds of millions versus you know tens of millions there's a lot more people that can can work in that uh, ecosystem so i think a club with sunderland you know to stop the rot the potential is huge the supporter base is massive mm. You know the the facilities are incredible. They're all Premier League facilities, so I think it, that someone will will take that over. Does it hamper them that there's another club not far away that's also up for sale? Not now, under the circumstances. Um, well, because they're different markets now. Yeah, they're different markets and they're different valuations. So, what is the latest on the Newcastle? Newcastle sale? again. There's there's a huge amount of interest again in Newcastle because I think a lot of people were waiting in the wings to see what's going to happen. Uh, in terms of them staying in the Premier League, they're all but safe at this stage. It would take something crazy to happen for them to go down. You mm. were talking about, you know, they're they're potentially, you know, going to finish in the top half of the table. Well, yeah, as Rafa was pointing out, they might even beat Everton to ninth. <laughs> he seems extremely interested in that, but that's another point, and that's something that I was going to say at, at that moment in time that we're looking at this from a supporters' perspective, but from an ownership perspective, that means everything. And it's it's one of those people always say, well, if you're a smaller team in the Premier League, why aren't you going for the FA Cup or the league? And the, the only reason for that is they just want to stay in the league because you're talking about minimum 90 million quids, probably for a club that's outside of the relegation zone, wherever you finish. You're you're close to a hundred million that you're going to get there versus five million that below. So so it does mean a lot in terms of from an owner's perspective, but it it from a supporter's perspective or from a you know a neutral's perspective, it it might mean so much. How, how much is each place worth now? I think Roughly? it's it's in around two million pounds oh, okay. per place. Yeah, well, I don't understand you. You're saying that those two million pounds are worth a lot to the owners. The two million isn't, but staying in the division is. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, no, I never yeah. doubted that. Yeah. I, I doubted that the race for ninth was <laughs> yeah, particularly, yeah. particularly but, exciting. What, what Tom was saying about it being a lot of potential under is, but at the same time, there's there's so much, it's such a mess behind the scenes. At Newcastle? That, no, at Sunderland. Oh, right. The, the fact, uh, yeah, both. Yeah, both, yeah. But it, there have been people will, uh, to, to come in and talk, but they've been put off very early by right. talking to the owner. But um, he's, he hasn't sold the club at all. When he's went into these meetings, he's he's, he's kind of just sort of slagged the fans, slagged slag the fan base, slagged the, the managing charge, slagged the uh, the uh, the players, slagged the the infrastructure of the club. When really he's been there long enough to to be responsible for all of that. Mm. And now you've got um, William William O'Brien putting a consortium together. It should go through okay. from what I've been told. But uh, the, the delay has been. That win at Derby, it was just giving a little bit of a glimmer of hope. It might have changed uh, the sums of money exchanged, um, but this, this, even if a takeover happens because of the amount of debt, or was it three figures, uh, well nine figures? So, uh, it's a, it's in around a hundred and twenty. Yeah, I, I think, I, and I think sixty of that's probably about Ellis Short. So he can do that what he wants. So it, it might be less, but still going to be a huge problem for whoever takes over. All right, we'll talk more about all this kind of thing and a bit more on Newcastle a little bit later on. 
Totally Football League show coming up with Ian McIntosh on Tuesday. WrestleMania 34 gets a look in and our brand new Parts Unknown podcast. You can search for that on Acast, iTunes and everywhere else you get your pods for wrestling fans. David, your happiest memories of Sunderland were being in the bath with your other, with, with, with your teammates. Well, I didn't say there were... I was asked this question by uh, by Ben, mm. talking about um, communal baths. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So and I just happened to mention that when, when I was apprentice, the best part of the day was actually when you'd finished training, you'd finished cleaning all your pros boots, you'd finished doing, cleaning the, the whole of Roker Park. We used to clean one of the baths up, uh, fill it up, have a big pot of coffee, big pot of tea, bring in a, a tray full of sandwiches, and we used to sit there for an hour just sit and chat. And eat them in the bath? Yeah. And it, it was the it, honestly it was the best part of the day. It was forgets going out and drinking uh, and uh, these bonding sessions. That's when real bonding was made. I can imagine. Is this um, to I'm thinking top. <laughs> <laughs> is that when it all went wrong when they took the baths away? Well, they did say it was because of um, sort of um, health and safety. Health and safety. Yeah, really. But, yeah, I think that's been disproved. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I don't know. Right. What was the water temperature like? Did you keep it topped up? Yeah, always keep it topped up. Always. Lots of bubble bath as well. That was that was important. Um, Lots of bubbles. Yeah, yeah. But but not not. There was no sort of. What? Yeah, go on. Panky, panky. Yeah, next no, one. No, no. I was I was I wasn't going to say that. I mean, no, it's, you know, it's I mean, good. There might have been. I just didn't know about it. Yeah, but nothing. You know, it's good healthy fun. I can imagine. Which I take offence to. Really. Good clean fun. Exactly, and I imagine were we to be sitting, you know, immersed in in warm water Again. with a. Again, <laughs> just imagine what 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 a free flow of ideas there would be. Um, sadly, we're not. Uh, maybe you're listening in the bath, listeners. In which case, uh, hello to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, all those Premier League games, which Rafa's so excited about. The ones down at the bottom are quite exciting, though, aren't they, they are. Rafa? Yes. Let's talk about those a bit. Hey, you've got uh, well. Let's you know we mentioned Newcastle's off-field business, but on-field. Wowzers going to the, the, the King Power Stadium, a 2-1 win there in Leicester. That's three victories in a row. A lot of people asking on Twitter, A, should he get manager of the year ahead of Mr Pep Guardiola? And B, is there any chance that Newcastle can hang on to him? Where's he going to go? I think it depends a lot on what happens with the club because I think he was very frustrated yeah. going into the season, worked miracles, I think, to a certain extent but doesn't want to rely on his ability to work miracles every single season. Um, as a good manager, you want to coach good players uh, and a club that helps you rather than is the biggest obstacle to your success. So I'm sure he set himself some kind of deadline to see if this situation is not resolved, then I'm, I'll be w- willing to listen to other offers. And there was, I think, today a story about him going to Spain. I don't think he'd be too desperate to go. I mean, he's, he's got that connection with the fans, similar to what he had at Liverpool. Obviously, it's different circumstances. and But it's, uh, you know, he, he, he finds it hard to let go of England. I think, didn't his family stay here behind yeah. when, he, when he left? And, you know, right, yeah. and his, his daughters were still living in England. So it, I don't think he'd be in, in, in too much of a rush. If he, if, if he can see something like that in the tunnel, he thinks something's going to change, then possibly he could stay. Because, I mean, yeah. What about this manager of the year uh, idea, Michael? No, Do you think I, it's that impressive what he's done? I think he's I think he's done an excellent job with a pretty poor squad, um, despite his poor blogs that I mentioned earlier. No, I think I think if you if you're looking for an outsider, then we shouldn't underestimate um, what Dyche has done. Just because right. Burnley have been up there all season, I mean, there's seven uh, sorry only five points behind Arsenal with uh, an incredibly low budget compared to those clubs. Um, I'm not one of those who thinks he necessarily deserves a job at. A, 
a better club because I think there's question marks about his mm. whether he can coach the attack in a different way, but he's done a fantastic job with the resources there. Okay, and as, as we mentioned, as it stands, they're heading for Europa League action next season. Wow. Uh, last had European games in 1967 when they reached the quarterfinal stage of the Intercities Fairs Cup. They've previously been in the quarterfinals of the European Cup. I think I'm right in saying that because there's been a slight rearrangement of the the process, they'd have to start really early in the Europa League mm. at end of July. Ooh. The kind of thing that someone like Dyche, I can imagine, could be a poison chalice. Do you think? Maybe it'd just be nice if I always find it frustrating when clubs don't take it seriously when they get into Europe. Mm. I remember Aston Villa a few years ago, West Ham as well, all claret and blue clubs. True. It's a tremendous achievement for for Burnley and Sean Dyche and and for Bournemouth, mm-hmm. in fact, because. We they tend to get ruled out every single year or, or written off, uh, and yet again on a very small budget, they've done tremendously well. All right, and they are the comeback kings of the Premier League. They've picked up 18 points from losing positions. They were playing Palace, though, who are the serial bottlers, the serial <laughs> throwers away of, of Leeds, poor things. Mm. It's all down to Roy Hodgson not making stops, apparently. Is that right? That is the theory. Hey, Michael, do you to comment on that? Yeah, I've heard that. I mean, he's he's got so many injuries, so you can kind of feel sorry for him because you look at the bench and, uh, to be honest, they're players you often haven't heard of. I mean, presumably Hodgson has, but, uh, you know, they are downgraded on quality every time they bring on a sub, so he has to balance that with fresh legs. So, mm. Although they look better without Benteke inside this weekend. Yeah, they did. I mean, that's been their problem, really. I mean, they've created a lot of chances this year, and with Benteke, you think sooner or later it was going to click, but... If anything, it seems to have got worse with those misses against Liverpool last weekend. Yeah. This Zaha lad, he looks tasty. Uh, he's, a, he's a really, really good player, Zaha. I mean, I think along with Mara, he's the best player outside the top six in the Premier League this year. Okay. Um, and I kind of hope they can hang on to him, really. I think this, this year could be the one where he moves. Obviously, he went to Manchester United, didn't work out. So mm. maybe personally, he'll be a little bit afraid to leave. But uh, he's got a really good connection with the fans that I don't think you see that much at, at Premier League level. With a player like that, often, you know, the fans have a connection with a kind of long-serving right-back who's a little bit of a cult figure, but he's their best player and they absolutely love him. And I just really enjoy going to Palace and, and watching him. I think he's fantastic. All right. Palace, three points above the drop at the moment. It is West Brom, who are 10 points from safety. Stoke, four points from safety now after their defeat at home to Spurs. Southampton, we mentioned before, they're three away from survival. Who scored the, the goals for, for Spurs? Did we, was it ever decided, Rafa? I think one goal was clear enough, yeah. It's mm-hmm. about the other one uh, right. where the issue is. Um, Ericsson got the first one. The second one, um, by Harry Kane's account, came off his shoulder. And I, it, I think it's become now, after forensic match of the day uh, examinations, become kind of accepted with him that he did get a touch with I think shoulder. the Premier League is still giving it to, uh, to Ericsson. Well, the dubious, um, oh, the dubious goal... <laughs> panel I'm sure yeah. we'll meet at some stage will they meet yeah okay. I think that, that, is, that is the reason for, for their existence <laughs> um, Just, do they actually exist they do exist yeah, okay. yeah they do exist have you ever met them I have not met them because they're an, an, um, their identities are being kept uh, okay. secret so that people like Harry Kane can't phone them up and say because you know he what? would wouldn't he well he would because today apparently he um, there was a quote I saw in the paper that said he, I'm swearing on my daughter's life yeah. that they've got a touch oh, I feel like he's, he's going to chain himself to some yeah. railings or something really <laughs> it's a bit unedifying isn't it or not well yeah. well, I think well, it's, quite, it, it's quite sweet in a way that it's, it means so much to him yeah, but I've seen this one that he, he could actually appeal it 
He could appeal the yeah, awarding and, of the goal. Yeah. What, the European Court of Justice? <laughs> <laughs> no idea. Right. It could it could prove crucial in the golden boot. I mean, he's a long way behind. If if Salah's injury is bad, then yeah, he has a habit true. of scoring about he's not that three hat-tricks in the last five, five goals behind, I think, is he? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Well, um, could be six. But it's well. five. Five. Without the goal. Okay. Without the goal. So, yeah, four. Yeah. Uh, no, I appreciate why he'd want it, but when you're... When he gets it, he takes it away from Ericsson, though, so... Yeah, but Ericsson doesn't mind. Well, Ericsson might if he's on a goal bonus, he might. Hmm? If he's on a goal bonus, he might. Well, there you go. Mm-hmm. There you I, go. I would mind. Harry Kane can give him part of his bonus back. Yeah. I was on a clean sheet bonus. Mm-hmm. But only for certain amounts, sort of. It was at every five. Got the old, oh, yeah. At some clubs, yeah. Okay. Just one. Chill of air goal bonus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I did get an assist once. Did you? Yeah, one for a header. Did you? How yeah. did that happen? Uh, well, I think I don't know if I what was the game. Before. It was uh, Silkeborg against Viola, relegation battle. I'd already given the goal away. We won all down. Uh-huh. Went up the last minute, corner, big man up front, just stick it on me. Nodded down for somebody half volley in the goal. Redemption. Yeah, nice. brilliant. Was that something you'd practised? Never. I've done it once before when I was at Darlington. Big games we're talking about here, no? Uh, it was Scunthorpe against Darlington. And um, I'd, we won all down, so I made a, a beeline for the for the other end. But the guy taking the uh, the corner kick didn't see me and didn't wait. So I got the halfway line, oh. put the go- put the ball in, the account attacked and scored behind me. Oh, yeah, yeah. David, that's yeah. awful. I mean, we were getting beat 1-0. It was a last game of the season, something like mm. that. I didn't care, really. OK. All right. Also this weekend, there was West Brom's 1-1 draw with Swansea and a 1-1 draw between Brighton and Huddersfield, Michael. Another own goal in that game? Yeah, a bit of an unfortunate one. Hit the hit the post and hit the goalkeeper. Hit Lussel. Lussel. And mm. went in. Um, I think, to be fair, those two sides deserve a bit of credit as well. Brighton and Huddersfield came up, no Premier League experience, you know, in terms of the club, but in, also in terms of their playing ranks. Mm-hmm. And I've never really been in danger of going down. They've never really flirted with the... I mean, Huddersfield have always been just above the, the drop zone. And, and they've both played quite a good football. I think they've got their own ident- identities, their own styles. Two managers have been very firm and insistent in how they were going to play and stuck to that. So, good luck to them. OK, they're four points above the drop at the moment, level with Swansea, who managed a point away at West Brom. Or maybe we should say West Brom managed a point at home to Swansea. It ended an eight-game losing streak. Darren Moore uh, beginning his interim spell on the baggies bench. Dr Tom, you advised on the Chinese takeover, of course, at West Brom. Did you advise on anything else, asked producer Ben, such as sacking Pulis and hiring Alan Pardew or taxi policy in Barcelona, any of those things? How much of your handiwork is this? Unfortunately not. Um, But I did work with Mark Jenkins, who was Jeremy Peace's chief executive. Mm. And obviously he left the club because he was very much Jeremy's right-hand man. And they obviously brought in John Williams and his team and they... They're now gone, and Mark Jenkins is now back as chief executive. Ah. So read what what you want into that. Mm. But and complaining he, that there's no money left. Yeah, and he, he's he's still very close to Jeremy. So you might have a situation, you know, if if they go down, if slash when they go down, that the Chinese owners might necessarily want to be there anymore. Okay, and we might have a return to the status quo. Right, they might take it away from the Chinese in an ironic twist of convention. What about Darren Moore getting the job full time? It's it's a tough one to call. You know, traditionally that their their method, particularly when when Jeremy was running the club and when Mark was there, they tended to go for very very good coaches. So you know, 
traditionally they, they were appointing people that had done a brilliant job coaching behind the scenes but they they didn't have managerial experience so they, they went went for the continental you know Rafa's familiar style of the director sporting director and and a and a coach so you know good luck to him you know he's he's got he's on it's a little bit like what you were talking about earlier on with, with united when they were, when they were two nil down that there isn't that much pressure on him because nothing is expected so if he can produce something but i would say and we were talking about managers like you look at the championship it's just getting more and more competitive and more and more attritional and there's more and more money been pumped into it because people are just going trying to get to the promised land of the premier league mm. so whether you can do that over such a long season that that's that's the the number of people coming in to get to an easy route to a cheaper route to getting into the premier league riches it is and it isn't because yeah. you know if you get there fantastic but pretty much all of the clubs are losing money in that division they're just pumping money in the financial fair play that the EFL have brought in you know it, it hasn't necessarily worked the way it hasn't been policed the way everyone thought it would be so I think that the championship is it's its an incredible division but it's its just attritional there's one thing that Darren Moore's got in his favour I played with Darren at, the, at Barnsley you skipped it when I first went there the one thing he's got in his favour for them going down I think he's got five promotions as a player out of the championship in the Premier League Okay. Um, so he he obviously knows what's needed to get out of that division um, he's, he's he was academy manager he was head of academy then he's promoted under Alan Pardew and he's he's got the right kind of manner about him you know he's, he's the type of person that uh, people people see as an authoritative figure I mean alright he's, he's he can mm. be be big and scary at time, but he's he's a he's a real nice guy and um, good in the bath. Very good in the bath. Right. Very good in the bath. He is. Okay. Darren. He's one man who I I've seen with my uh, with my own eyes scare the living daylight out of Roy Keane. Okay. We played Ipswich one day and um, but we're walking back in the dressing room. We go walk past the, uh, the Ipswich dressing room. He's uh, Roy Keane standing outside the, the the Ipswich dressing room, shaking hands with all his players. And as we walk past him, he just goes to Darren Murray. He just goes, "I you you whinge a lot for a big man, don't you?" And Darren's took exception to this and sort of turned around. He's the only man who can sort of nullify anybody's advances, mm. aggressive advances, with a stare. He just puts his head down and gives him. We used to call it the brow. As soon as you give somebody the brow like that, that was it, and it was nothing. He went from there was mayhem. There's people coming from diving over the top of me trying to get their people, and he's uh, it's just from that. Yeah. Oh, it, wow. it was. Yeah, it was one of those things that you, you know you think that goes on. It very rarely goes on in in tunnels or uh -huh. in dressing rooms. People think that that was more often. This was just mayhem. It was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Wow. Did you get stuck in, David? Well, no. I was just standing there, just laughing at people. Like, you know what <laughs> right. I mean? Like, they're falling back. Brilliant. Okay. Mm. That's very good. Ah. Oh. Um, wow. What an unexpected treat that story was. Listeners, starting up the Totally Football Show was a hairy business. Fortunately, Cornerstone have been with us every step of the way. Why? Because they're in the business of making hairy things smooth, like your face. Cornerstone's award-winning blades will give you the smoothest shave possible. And their range of balms, creams and exfoliators are all environmentally friendly, alcohol-free and suitable for the most sensitive skin. Head to cornerstone.co.uk slash totally to see the range for yourself, get £10 off your first order and have it delivered right to your door. And you'll find out why tens of thousands of men have switched over to Cornerstone. Well, that's the football then. Time to get those odds from Paddy Power with producer Ben. Thank you, James. I'm here with Lee Price from Paddy Power. And Lee, let's talk about Europe first of all. It's Man City versus Liverpool. 
Liverpool three goals up. They lost 5-0 when they last went there. Surely they can't do that again. I think they're going to be goals in this one. What are the odds on four or more at the Etihad? <laughs> Quite probably. Uh, City have been uncharacteristically bad the last couple of games. Uh, and since the Easter weekend, Guardiola probably felt like hiding in the cave. His size defensive frailties of last season have been resurrected and they've been ripped apart by Manchester United of all teams and Liverpool. Uh, so expect a goal fest this time. Our odds are very short and there being more than four goals in this game. They're just 11 to 10. So expect a thriller. We'll probably get a nil-nil. So Liverpool going through on the night then? I would say so. You get massively odds on odds on Liverpool going through. So short that it's probably not worth betting on them, to be honest. All right, let's shift focus from the Champions League to the Europa League, where Arsenal are in Moscow. They're 4-1 up against Suska, having beaten them at the Emirates. Um, can they really balls this up away in Russia? Yeah, talk about the fun stopping. That's very un-Arsenal-like, wasn't it? They were clinical, mature, incisive in the first leg. Uh, totally unrecognisable, in other words. Um, we made them favourites to win the away leg too, which I'm not so sure about. CSK need a 3-0 win to progress, which is a chunky 35-1. to If it happened, I think even Arsenal fans would find that hilariously bad. But I wouldn't expect to see it. Back to the Premier League then. Now, Spurs, they're unbeaten in the league since mid-December. They've had five wins in a row. Can they finish second again this season? I don't think so. Um... They're a huge 1-200 to 200 to finish in the top four, which is absolutely massive. And they do have a game in hand on Liverpool above them. But that four-point gap to United does look quite tricky. So with that in mind, we'd offer odds of 4-1 to one that they finish runners-up this season, which would at least be another accolade for the Spurs trophy cabinet. And at the other end of the table, Lee, what about the new manager at West Brom? Who's that going to be? Yeah, if West Brom fans weren't depressed enough already, how's this for next manager shortlist? Mick McCarthy, Dean Smith, Chris Wilder, Michael Blackton, Craig Shakespeare and Paul Cook. Welcome to life outside the Premier League, lads. Uh, but in fairness, they're all sensible options. And McCarthy has emerged as a favourite, despite being so unloved at Ipswich. He's 15 to 8 now, having been 10 to 1 initially. If you thought Tony Pierce was dour baggies fans, strap yourselves in. You can find out those odds and more at paddypower.com. 18 plus only, begambleaware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Uh, that largely wraps things up for that. What What is the one game people should watch this week? Rafa, what would it be for you? Well, I think um, despite everything we said, City-Liverpool still holds out the most promise of of good football, of, of, of exciting. Of being a PSG-Barcelona part two. Yeah, I mean, if Liverpool score, score reasonably early, then it might just kind of peter out. But mm. you'd hope that it'll be as entertaining, despite being one-sided as the first leg was. Right. Dr. Tom? I'd like to say something else, but I'm in c- complete agreement with Seska Arsenal, perhaps? You never know. Uh, no, I don't think. I think if you're looking for quality and you're looking for pace and, and the game potentially has everything, you know, you want City to score early and, and it's the game that all the neutrals will be watching. Mm. If you, if I just come mm-hmm. can come in, if you are interested to see the fortunes of Leon Bailey and future Liverpool player Naby Keita, you can tune in Monday night to see Leipzig play Leverkusen. All right. Michael, David, what, what game will most be be most essential for you this week? Well, do you know, if you had a loose end and you're around Brackley this weekend, oh, yeah. Yeah, you should go and support Alfred and Town to play in Brackley okay. in the uh, Conference North and uh-huh. uh, National League North as it is now and uh, get behind Alfred and then desperately need three points. Okay. And Michael? No, I'm looking forward to the City-Liverpool game and I think one possibility is that City could really go for it and be done... 3-0 on the counter-attack as has happened to Guardiola teams in the past Wow! Um, and then there'll be even more of a question mark about his his record in those kind of big Champions League games yeah can't do it without Messi yeah alright Michael you've got the bath on 
<laughs> Let's get in there. Listeners will catch you soon. Hope you have a nice time in the meanwhile. Bye. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Gentlemen, are you feeling a bit crap? Well, you're not alone. Everyone does at some point. But the thing people don't realise is just how common it is in chaps like you and me. Last year, 76% of all the suicides in Britain were male. That's 4,287 men, a figure not much smaller than the average League 2 attendance last season. On average, 12 men take their own life every single day, meaning that the leading cause of death for men under 45 in the UK is suicide. But that's part of the problem. There's still a strong social stigma around depression and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and seeking help when they need it. That's why we at the Totally Football Shows are working with Calm. They're the Campaign Against Living Miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide in the UK. Every day from 5pm till midnight, they provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. They've also got a website and a free magazine packed with the kind of information you need if you or any of your mates are having a rough time, as well as some cracking stuff on comedy, bands, film and of course football too. So if you are feeling crap, find Calm at thecalmzone.net for support and some straight-up manspiration.